Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Washerman, back for the 85th, count of 85, uh, uh, Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition uh, meetings. We are joined by 74 people uh, to start, and we are going to be discussing the deep deeps of election protection. Uh, we're also going to have some discussion of the ongoing battle over renewable energy, which is the, uh, the battle that parallels election protection in the world of energy. And uh, at the end, we will be talking, uh, of course, about Ukraine and, and the world-shattering events over there. Uh, this is uh, engineered by Mike Hirsch and Steve uh, Caruso, who's also our webmaster, co-convener with us today from North Carolina is Joel Siegel. We've got the Tonka Bricka and an amazingly wonderful, as always, uh, group of people. I do wanna say that next week, uh, we will not be meeting. Uh, we will reconvene on March 14th. So we'll take a week off next week. We'll be back uh, on March 14th, uh, assuming that Vladimir Putin does not follow up with his threats to blow up the world. Um, we are going to cover today. Uh, we, we started and we will, uh, uh, beforehand, we're going to get a brief uh, explanation from how uh, Ginsburg on the, the work our, our revolution is doing to prevent um, traitors and insurrectionists from getting elected to public office. Um, we are then gonna talk about gerrymandering in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, we're gonna talk with Tatanka Bricka about gerrymandering being used against the indigenous. We're gonna visit the astonishing situation in Ohio where a single uh, woman, the Maureen O'Connor, the Republican Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court has completely upended the gerrymandering process. It's a real profile in courage, if ever there was one. We're gonna talk about Nevada as well. We're gonna talk about the new, new nominee to the Supreme Court. Then we're gonna go into uh, what's happening with renewables. That will take most of the first hour, believe me. Talk about what's happening with renewables, and then we'll leave the rest of our time uh, for Ukraine. I will admit, as I did in the preamble, that uh, I have spent more time watching Fox News than at any other time in my life. Their coverage actually of, uh, of this, when they're not talking to their partisan lunatics, has actually been pretty good. So that's the layout for today. We will go uh, uh, for uh, uh, 90 minutes on the recording and then another 30 uh, for kibitzing. Uh, as, as our engineer Mike Hirsch has pointed out, you, you please do, uh, you can swear, but only in Yiddish. Uh, the seven, uh, four words uh, uh, we can't use, okay? And for those of you who are Roman Catholic, uh, you're welcome to try Latin as well. Uh, Tatanka, and then Joel Siegel. Tatanka Bricka? Oh, I was just going to say Dan Nelson is in the house, so we're ready when you're ready for us. Okay, very good. Uh, Joel Siegel uh, from North Carolina. Oh, hi, um, Harvey. I, I got a bunch of crazy work deadlines that I got to get done, but I want to see if I can go a little bit earlier than I was supposed to. Well, um, you're set to talk about uh, gerrymandering in North Carolina and also uh, NPAC, uh, the NPAC. And, and report on NPAC. So that's fine. Let Thank me um, see. We have someone. Uh, well, Hal Ginsburg, you're going to give us a couple minutes on, you, on what you're doing. And then uh, we want to talk. I, I understand we have someone from Pennsylvania to talk about the insane gerrymandering situation there. And then Joel. Uh, unless someone else really has to go, we'll slip you in. How's that? Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, Hal Ginsburg, uh, get, you showed us some pictures beforehand, which wouldn't go over real well on the radio. If you can explain what your work is now, um, uh, that would be great. All right, Harvey. Thank you so much. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Alberto in Los Angeles, who was at one of our, our first 14.3 action in LA when we were petitioning the Secretary of State of the great state of California to block Trump from the ballot. So it's pretty cool to see Alberto on this call. I was not expecting to. So good to see you, Al, and, and shout outs to you. What I was talking about before, and I'll just continue, is we did have four great events uh, a couple of weeks ago, starting Tuesday 
uh, in Annapolis, Maryland, and Mike Hirsch of PDA was speaking at that event. I showed a, a nice slide of Mike addressing the camera. We presented a letter to the Board of Elections Administrator for the state of Annapolis, Linda H. Lamone, urging her to investigate closely uh, 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 Dan Cox, who's running for governor on the Republican ticket for insurrection. And under the US Constitution, if you take up arms against the United States, if you participate in an insurrection or you give aid and comfort to enemies, you cannot run for office. If you were in office at that time, you cannot remain in office, you cannot run for reelection. We believe there are a number of uh, candidates in this, uh, in this cycle uh, and who are in office now who should not be based on that constitutional amendment. And one of them is in Maryland, uh, obviously Trump. And we are hoping to set a precedent going forward by getting insurrectionists barred on state ballots for 2024 to keep Trump off the ballot then if possible. We're moving forward in other states, including Ohio, where we had a great rally Saturday, 40 folks braving the 15 degree cold, and it was very windy as well. We've been getting great media coverage uh, in Ohio, as well as in Pennsylvania. So we're really just really excited about this. We wanna move forward in Arizona where there are three bona fide insurrectionists who are running for reelection, including in Congress, Paul Gosar, as well as uh, Mark Fincham. And the third one's name escapes me. I'm not gonna sit here and try to remember. I believe it's- So you are Pence. with Our Revolution and That's we'll put in the chat how people can get a hold of you. You can speak it out real quick um, because we're on the radio. Hal at OurRevolution.com. And Harvey, thank you. And Mike, for all your generosity of time. It's so appreciated. Okay, no problem. We're glad to have you on, Hal, and keep up your great work uh, with Our Revolution. And we are looking to pull together a definitive coalition and uh, to proceed. Uh, I think one of the um, things we have to recognize right up top is that uh, the work and the expectations that were put into um, a voting reform act, um, we're gonna have a tough time given what's happened uh, in, in, in Ukraine to get any kind of uh, attention span from the Congress to help with, with that legislation to protect our, our elections. This is a big deal, something we're gonna have to talk about. <clears throat> I understand we have someone on from Pennsylvania who has been dealing with the um, election protection issues and especially uh, gerrymandering, is that correct? Uh, raise your hand, please. Yes, I'm you here. Are person. Uh, yep. Carol Cunahome, um, uh, good to see you. Uh, where are you, please? I am in uh, Chester County, Pennsylvania. Okay, so you are right downwind from Three Mile Island, and um, um, I hope you've survived. But let's let's proceed now. You're working on the, the extremely complicated um, uh, gerrymandering fight in Pennsylvania. Tell us what's going on, please. Well, it is very complicated. It's been fairly chaotic, um, but we are very hopeful about the outcome. We have a five-person commission that draws the House and Senate maps. Our Senate map has been very gerrymandered for 30 years. The Republicans have locked in a four or five seat advantage every, every session for the last 30 years in our Senate. The Republicans have locked in a 15 seat advantage for the last decade in the House. The decade before that, it was seven or eight seats. This time around, the maps that were drawn by this commission are far more fair and far more reflective of communities and have brought that um, partisan advantage much, much closer to zero. So. Um, there has been some outcry, as you might expect, from the party that was benefited by those gerrymandered maps, and they have taken it to the court to the extent that the um, House Majority Leader asked that the current gerrymandered maps be used again in this next election. The court very swiftly denied that appeal, which was terrific. So that appeal has, has just been, we will use the new maps. Um, there's another week for petitions to be filed in opposition to the new maps, but the court has made clear they will move very quickly once all petitions have been filed. I think our new maps are the maps that will be in place for the next decade, which is terrific because the new maps are far better. For the So that's for our House and Senate maps. For our congressional map, um, our state legislature is supposed to pass a map and then the governor is supposed to sign it and that map becomes law. The state legislature, 
ignored the other party completely, ignored the governor's instructions on what he was looking for in a map. Uh, they passed a map without explaining criteria where the map came from, why they wanted that map, and um, the governor vetoed it immediately as he had promised he would do, which meant that that went to the courts. And interesting, I, I don't know if this has happened in any other state, the Commonwealth Court, the judge it was given to is a very strong Trump supporter, very partisan judge. She invited the parties to the, um, to, there were a number of parties who filed suit against the whole process. And she ended up inviting parties to submit maps. And there were 13 maps submitted, including the map that had been vetoed by the governor, including a map proposed by the governor, including some maps proposed by various citizen groups, um, 13 maps in all. And then that judge um, recommended to the Supreme, then the Supreme Court stepped in and said, we're not going to let one Commonwealth Court judge choose a map for the whole state. The Supreme Court will do that. And so the Supreme Court um, did not, so the Commonwealth Court judge recommended the map that had been passed by the legislature and vetoed by the governor, which turned out to be the most partisan map of all the maps that were submitted. The Supreme Court stepped in and said, well, we're going to decide this. Um, and last Wednesday came out with what they proposed was the final map, which, which is, we believe is a very fair map. Uh, it's not as partisan as the as any. I mean, there were there were maps that were more partisan on both both edges. This was the map that changed the current map the least. So it was the least change from the map that was put in place in the 2018 League of Women Voters uh, redistricting lawsuit. So that map went from our our map that was passed back in 2012 locked in 13 to five advantage for Republicans, even in, a, even in an election where Republicans had less than half the votes, they got 13 out of 18 seats. In 2018, the Supreme Court said that was unlawful. Uh, a special master drew a new map. That map Sorry, gave Carol, nine, which, nine. Which, which Supreme Court? The Pennsylvania Supreme Court. The what? The, the, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So that okay. was actually a groundbreaking breaking lawsuit because it appealed to the state constitution um, and looked at protections in the state constitution and went to the state Supreme Court, which was a terrific uh, move because the federal, the U.S. Supreme Court has said they will not, they will not weigh in on partisan gerrymandering. The state Supreme Court said our constitution gives us the right to free and equal elections. So on the basis of that constitution, they ruled the previous map unlawful, gave us a new map that went 9-9 in a 50-50 election. We got nine Republicans and nine Democrats, and that's what we've had in the last two elections. And this new map follows that map very closely, except we lose one seat. So the new map looks like it will be very much, if the voters swing right, we will end up with the 9-8. If the voters swing left, we will end up with eight, nine. Um, whichever party it swings to will get the, the extra seat. Um, it's a much, it's a very fair map. And um, so we look like we're in good shape. Um, there are attempts to continue to litigate it, but from every indication we can see, we have final maps and they will be fair. Well, wait till you hear what's happened in Ohio. But um, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's shocking what's happened in Ohio. Did you have a statewide referendum process to put a how, how did how did this fair map districting happen? So we tried very hard to get an independent commission in place. Pennsylvania does not have a citizen initiative and to change our constitution, to change the process, we would have to get it to go through the state legislature twice and then go to a referendum. Uh, the legislative leaders, this is how they keep power, and they were not remotely interested in passing our, our maps, our, our, our proposals. They weren't interested in, in reforming the process. But we had many, many people paying attention to the process and put on a great deal of public pressure. Over 6,000 comments submitted to the commission that drew the maps, and lots of press, lots of um, letters to the editor, lots of attention. And I think that level of attention has forced pretty much everybody involved to, to move towards a more fair map, except for the, um, the Pennsylvania House, the GOP there. They know the only way they keep a majority is with a gerrymandered map. They have pushed back very hard, um, but the court has 
pretty much ignored them. And so um, we wow. think that public attention and 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 we we think we have a, a, a fair Supreme Court, Pennsylvania Supreme Court that takes the law seriously, that takes maps seriously. Um, and and our governor actually, I think, worked really well. He put together a commission to study the process and to propose guidelines. So um, I think a lot of public attention and um, the checks and balances that are embedded in our state legislature actually held firm this time around. We will continue to work for reform legislation, but for now we are really pleased. We think we will have fair maps at the legislative and congressional level for the next decade. That is astounding. You, you, you should be careful you'll get kicked out of the United States. <laughs> I mean, I mean well, that is truly amazing. How did it come about that you got this commission? Where well, the commission, the commission is embedded in our state constitution. So the state constitution says we have a five-person commission. The commission is composed of the two majority leaders. So that's a majority leader in the House and Senate, the two minority leaders, minority leaders in House and Senate. The fifth person is chosen by those four, but they never agree on anybody. And if they can't agree, then the state Supreme Court chooses the fifth person. So this time, the state Supreme Court actually chose which the majority of the court, the state Supreme Court is majority democratic, but they chose a person who had been recommended by Republicans in the past and the Democrats had voted against. Um, he is an incredibly fair, uh, he is a lawyer who was the um, chancellor of the law school at University of Pittsburgh. Um, and so uh, a man of great intelligence and great integrity. And he basically tried to run his commission by the rules that we had put in our legislation. So, you know, having a great deal of transparency, inviting lots of expert testimony, um, tried to run it in as fair and open a way as he could. And um, and we think the we think the outcome is far better than we might have hoped for. It's not perfect. Um, we think we might get an even better map if we had a citizens independent commission. But for the commission that we have, we have really good maps. That is astounding to hear. Uh, this this needs to be written up. Somebody's <laughs> got to write a major piece about this to to put around. Um, uh, Carol, can you stick with us a, a, for a few more minutes? I can Joel, say just a few on. more minutes, and then I have to go. Yep. All right, Joel. Can, uh, do you want to wait, Joel, or can you uh, can you push your report back? I wish I could, but I, I gotta I gotta pay All the right, rent. Give us a couple minutes, Carol. If you'll stick with us, we can't lose this thread. This is really critical because when you hear what's going on in Ohio, you're not just not going to believe it. Uh, go ahead, uh, Joel. Real quick. Yeah, I, I want to riff on. Hey, Carol, it's an honor to meet you. Uh, what you're doing is, I think it's very heroic and it's a model, but um, you know, the, the election protection movement is really starting to mature now. But I think if we're going to push back against the far right wing, we have to professionalize the operation. And we need, an, we need a national organization with a half a million dollar budget that can do what you just did, Carol, um, but do it across the country where there's you know, gerrymandering. And because you, you have to shame these elected officials. And if you don't shame them, they're going to do the wrong thing every time. But let's say we had an organizer in North Carolina, we could replicate what you did in Pennsylvania or something similar and just say, you know what, we're going to start our own commission. It's going to be a civil society commission. You get a lot of press, uh, start lobbying, uh, you know, the general assemblies and say, we don't want to, we don't want this anymore. But anyway, that's that's the one point I wanted to make. How do we professionalize this operation and replicate Pennsylvania, which is what I think Sluggo was was getting at. Uh, number two, how Hal's work is pretty astounding and um, needs to be lifted up. But I I'd like to suggest how that we do a sense of the House resolution, and I think we should introduce in the Senate as well. I put it in the chat. You know, whereas, whereas, whereas Donald Trump did everything to break the law on one six, therefore, be it resolved that he should not be able to run for president, because you also got to shame the House and the Senate. If you don't shame them, when I worked there for 13 years, most of the staff were young kids and the chief of staff were very conservative, even in the progressive caucus. They didn't want to make any waves. 
and I, I, I love to make waves and we got to make those waves for them. And, you know, our revolution could get probably 100 co-sponsors right away on that kind of a resolution. But my fear is that we're going to mainstream authoritarianism and we can't do that. So lastly, about NPAC, National Progressive Action Coalition, I want to thank Tatanka uh, and James Fukuda. But when we had our first meeting, I can't remember when it was, a few months ago, we had 127 organizations who agreed that the progressive movement cannot remain in silos. And I'm working in the nonprofit world again, and I am seeing the siloization of the progressive movement is often being perpetrated by well-intentioned NGOs who are vying for what they think are scarce foundation grants, which is not true. There's plenty of money. It's just they're not asking for it in the correct way. Um, but what we're trying to do with NPAC, we're going to build a board of directors. So I'll tell us what is NPAC and put it oh, in I'm the sorry. chat. National Progressive Action Coalition, which is an attempt to unify progressives under one big umbrella, um, as opposed to the siloed nature of it, which renders the progressive movement. And how, uh, how, do, ineffective. How, do plug, how do people plug into NPAC on this call? I'm going to let Satanka talk about that. Okay. Um, I'll close by saying that there's, there's a very deep constituency for this idea of a unified coalition for three reasons. Number one, progressives are realizing we don't have enough critical mass to rapidly transition to 100% cleanable energy because of the opposition. And everybody knows who the opposition is. Number two, we can't really stop authoritarianism and voter suppression on the state level, much less the federal level without more power. And then um, also just, you know, equity across the board. Um, I'm running a campaign to end homelessness and I can tell you most homeless people don't have any advocates, uh, very few, um, and we're trying to change that. But every time we do a new campaign, you guys start from scratch. We wanna have like a rapid response network, you know, combine our efforts with PDA, with GREEP, but um, I, it's coming along very nicely because people realize that we have to do this or we're, we're kind of doomed. I don't want to be pessimistic, okay. but yeah, I'm done. Thanks. Well, no, it's great. It's great. So you want Tataka to tell us how to come connect? connect. Tataka, we're going to come back to you in a couple minutes. I've, I fear we're about to lose Carol. Thank you very much, Joel. We appreciate that. Stick with us as long as you can. Uh, Carol Cunahom in, um, in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, how do we uh, coordinate with you directly? Uh, we need to, uh, you know, just like the Georgia Miracle, um, we need to spread the uh, actual word about what exactly happened in Pennsylvania and how we can replicate this. Well, um, I would say there's groups across the country uh, who are at work on this issue and every, every state is different. Um, so it's hard to know how to replicate. You know, we watched, we talked a lot with the California Independent Redistricting Commission, um, but they got there through citizen referendum. We watched Michigan and their voters, not politicians, um, with great uh, envy because they collected signatures and then they got on the referendum. Um, we are working hard to figure out how to um, force our legislature to listen to people. Um, and that's a challenge that we continue to work on. But I would say public attention is a, is a great disinfectant. Um, the more public attention you can get on the process, the more people you can get to think about maps, um, the more you can force the process to deliver maps that are more fair. And that's just really hard work of educating the public. We've had over 1,100 public meetings um, attended by over 42,000 people. Wow. And we've recruited, you know, volunteers across the state. We actually have um, volunteers in every single legislative district in the state. And we have 253 legislative districts in Pennsylvania. We have volunteers in every single one of them. We trained people to meet with legislators in every single district. So it's a it's kind of a, a, a grassroots movement. It's convincing it, convincing citizens that civic engagement matters, convincing people that they need to pay attention to state legislatures. And I think 
one of the big challenges is that people don't think state legislator, legislatures matter that much. And um, so we've tried hard to help people understand that the things they care about most are usually decided at the state legislative level. And um, we continue wow. to do that work. Well, who is we? What is your group? We are. Um, we started out as a coalition. We're actually a fiscal project of the League of Women Voters, and there are League of Women Voters groups across the country who are working on the gerrymandering issue. But we quickly became a. Um, yeah, there, there we are, Fair Districts PA. Um, we are, we are, we are just volunteers, um, and we are a completely volunteer-led, volunteer-staffed organization so of people who just bring all their experience and frustration to trying to help people understand why these things matter. So a lot of us are retired educators, uh, retired lawyers, retired policy folks, or people who just have been watching Pennsylvania for years and saying something is broken here and trying to understand what's broken. And once we say, hey, connect the dots, the things that you care about aren't getting done because the legislature is not listening to us and they're not listening to us because they are in safe districts where they don't have to listen to us. So we try to connect the dots and we try to educate people and help people to really see why it matters to care about the state legislature. And well, it is all about is communication. So we, we need to have within a month, we need to have a national Zoom gathering and uh, Carol will, will organize it in conjunction with you and people in other states on gerrymandering. Because this is the kind of, I mean, you're talking about in Pennsylvania, you're talking about shifting uh, five or six congressional seats just by just by shoring up the fairness uh, of the districting process. And well, that was the law, the lawsuit. Absolutely. That lawsuit in 2018 was part of the shift in the the House of Representatives. We went from, as you, you said, 13 to five to nine, nine. That was that was four, four seats. Um, that shifted and and we're holding on to that you know we're holding on to the fairness going ahead people weren't sure that we would be able to hold on to that but we we absolutely are so um okay we will be sure please write me soortopia at gmail and we will we will pull this together this uh, could not be more important um we want to move ahead i i know you may have to leave i do Carol, thanks for having me so much we're, we're thrilled we want you back in two weeks please and um, we will proceed with this and really try and link together a lot of these state, different states. Uh, Tatanka, you're with Danny Paul, and uh, also I have Steve from Ohio. Do, do, uh, Danny Paul and Tatanka, can, can you stay with us? Because I want to talk about Ohio before we go to the indigenous. Is that I possible? Can't. You, can you, Danny Paul? Uh, I'm good for now, yep. Okay, great. Okay, so uh, Steve Caruso and I, um, I have spent a lot of time in central Ohio. Um, the scenario that we're going to describe, uh, you could not make up. Um, and Steve, correct me if I get it wrong, but a while ago, I believe the League of Women Voters was also, and I, I love the League because my mother was in the League the whole time I was growing up. And um, the League of Women Voters and other groups in Ohio won a statewide referendum to revamp the gerrymandering, the, the districting process. And it was a, a good, sane, fair process. And it moved ahead. And the Republican legislatures, uh, both houses, which is completely gerrymandered. Ohio is, you know, 52 now, maybe Republican, 48 Repo Democrat. But the, uh, the both state legislatures, have, uh, both, both state houses uh, have super majority Republicans even to the right of the Republican governor, John Kasich, and slightly, but not much to the right of the current governor, DeWine. And they went in there and they completely blew up the citizen process that was put in place by a very strong majority of Ohio voters. And they came up with a map that was even worse. I think Ohio was, uh, what was it, 12 to four? You know, a state that was 50-50 was 12 to 4 Republican or thereabouts to go along with the supermajorities in the two state assemblies. And so um, they drew up this map and with a Republican governor and the Republican governor, so classic of this guy, Mike DeWine, comes out and says, 
well, this is a really lousy map. This is embarrassing. And then he signed off on it. And, you know, they send the map up uh, as per legal requirement to the Ohio Supreme Court, where everybody, and I mean everybody, assumed that the Republican, Ohio, Ohio Republican Supreme Court, which is four Republicans and three Democrats, was going to rubber stamp this thing. And suddenly, Maureen O'Connor, may that name live in history, a Rep the Republican Chief Justice of the Supreme Court threw out the map. And the Republican Party literally had a, a heart attack. And they went completely crazy, screaming at Maureen O'Connor, charging her with gerrymandering. I mean, and she's in her, her last uh, term, um, but you know, for her to do what she did was a real profile in courage. You know, if John Kennedy was alive to write a second book, she would be the first chapter. And so the Republicans went completely crazy and the governor's son is on the Ohio Supreme Court. Um, uh, you know, and so they the Republicans got together, they drew up an equally lousy map, sent it back and she vetoed it again. The second time. And with the situation in Ohio, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, they are in danger of not having elections in Ohio because there's no maps. There, nobody who's running for the state house or the Congress knows where they're running. Well, they, they, no, they actually approved so a map. There. They Go actually ahead, approved Steve. a map uh, without the Democrats voting on it because <laughs> they didn't agree. There is no cooperation between the two, the Democrats or the Republicans in the commission that was voted into place by a referendum of the people of Ohio. And uh, so now the Supreme Court, they dropped the case where they're going to charge the people that didn't cooperate with contempt on Tuesday. Well, that's been pulled back. Okay, now the Republicans are going national trying to get states' right issue at, recognized at the Supreme Court, which they just turned down in Alabama. So you tell me what's going on. Right. So in Alabama, the Supreme Court of the state of Alabama threw out gerrymandered maps that were completely racist. And the U.S. Supreme Court, five to four, because Roberts voted the other way on this, uh, left in place maps that are completely racist. Now the Ohio Republicans are trying to get the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the, the state Supreme Court. And this guy, Mike DeWine, the governor, um, was supposed to be in front of a hearing for contempt because he was part of the process. And his son, <laughs> his son who's on the Supreme Court, had to recuse himself because he, he couldn't he overhear a trial of his own father. So now you have, the, instead of four to three at the Supreme Court, which everybody accepted, uh, expected in Ohio, to be four to three Republican, it turned into a four to three Democrat, or at least against these maps. And now it's four to two against the maps because DeWine's son is gone. And meanwhile, there's no election possible. Nobody can run for Congress and nobody can run for the state house because there are no districts. And nobody knows how this is gonna end. There's no, there's no likely solution here. Go ahead, Steve. Oh. No, yeah, well, you covered it pretty well. I mean, right now we're looking at this lawsuit and uh, whether the contempt of court thing is going to pop up again, I don't know. You know, maybe they got pressured to just pull it. Maureen O'Connor is going to be replaced. And I think Jennifer Bruner is running for a place. Um, yeah, there's the a Democratic woman if who's we running have for, uh, I, I don't know if she's going to win, but th that doesn't happen until the fall. Well, she's so in there now. Nobody so knows. I We're talking about this is Ohio, in the middle of the United States of America. You have a completely failed state. Well, you know, you look at it, and they have these polls, and they say like sixty percent of the Republicans. Well, the Republicans are only like thirty percent of the people. So how much, you know? So take sixty percent of thirty percent, and what do you get? You know, it's just this little thing, this little cadre, and all these guys in Ohio that are running Republican. Are Trump associates now? I'm I'm a Trump guy. I'm this. I'm you know. 
it, but anyway, you know, so that's the situation in Ohio. You just heard a completely sane report from Pennsylvania. And right next door, you know, you have a failed state. It's like Ukraine next to Belarus. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely insane. And we, we have no, way, no idea of where this is going to go. There's no, there's no likely solution. Um, the, however, early in the process, and this is really instructive, um, a, a citizens group, a, a, a group of citizens groups actually drew up maps, drew up a map that they thought would be fair. And I think that's a very important step forward. And it looks like something that we should do because you have this crazy Republican map that's completely gerrymandered and rigged, but at least out there, and everybody's yelling about it, but at least out there, there is also a fair map that, that you can hold up to the rigged map. So, you know, stay tuned folks, two weeks from now we'll be revisiting this, maybe it will be resolved, but if this, this is March and you cannot in November uh, under this current circumstances have an election. It, it's astounding, not for the state Senate, not for the state house and not for the US house. We have Cliff Albright in the house. He needs to speak about uh, redistricting and the black vote. Oh, black looks matter. Yes. And then we'll go to, uh, uh, we'll get a question for from Justin. And when we'll, then we'll go to a place where it's even worse, which is with the indigenous. And, that, and we'll have uh, Tatanka and Danny Paul talk about that. Uh, Cliff Albright, go ahead, jump in, please. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, so I'm Cliff Albright, co-founder, executive director of Black Voters Matter. Um, and I'm, I'm here basically was was um, on an email thread with Mike and, and bounced around an idea that we've been talking to. Let me take a step back because I'm not sure how many folks on the, the call, you know, are familiar with the work that Black Voters Matter do. We are a power building organization. We focus on building power in predominantly Black communities. We believe that elections um, and electoral organizing is one way of doing that, but not the only way of doing that. And so the way we go about engaging in our work is that we uh, support local groups. We do work in, in 23 states, 11 of those, where we actually have a, at least one staff member. Um, most of those are in the South and all the way from Louisiana, I'm sorry, from Texas, running all the way across over Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, the two Carolinas. Um, and then we have two states up north, one of which you were just talking about uh, in Pennsylvania and, and one in Michigan. Again, those are states, those are our core states where we have staff members. And there's 12 other states um, where we have a light touch where we don't have staff, but we support local groups. And when I say support, that means, you know, we, we, we support them on strategy, on GOTV, on, on, uh, on, on mobilizing, on advocacy around voting rights. Um, we've got an entire part within our policy shop that deals with redistricting. That's part of what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, and we don't just focus on the 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 you know the congressional redistricting and those maps that have been drawn we've been providing support to local groups that have been dealing with their local state and their local redistricting the the, the previous speaker a couple of speakers ago talked about how you know all roads run through these state legislatures and we believe that but we also believe that they run through these county commissions and these city councils and that those maps are important too and a lot of local groups don't often get support around that redistricting process because the national dialogue is always at the congressional level. And so we get these group support, strategy, financial resources. Um, sometimes we travel around in what we call the Blackest Bus in America to provide some support um, and uh, texting and tools and things of that nature. Over the past year, we've been very deeply involved um, in the battle for voting rights. Um, somebody talked about the Georgia miracle. You know, we're based in Georgia. We were very much involved in, in the Georgia elections, both the presidential as well as um, the two Senate runoffs that took place in January, uh, the day before the insurrection. And so, um, so with all that said, you know, we were, we were active in the, in the battle. And, and I see you putting up the website. We were active in the battle around uh, the voting rights legislation. We, we were part of the group that was outside the White House for months doing uh, rallies and, and protests to get President Biden to finally come out and speak about filibuster 
reform and to take a clear, unequivocal stance on that. He finally did that. Um, we continue to push along with many other groups, you know, many other partners, some which may even be on this call. But, you know, you mentioned the League of Women's Voters earlier, People for the American Way, Transformative Justice Coalition, Legal Defense Fund, so many partners that have been working together, DFAD, um, uh, Lawyers Committee, um, Leadership Conference. And, uh, you know, we were part of keeping it on the radar so that, that the Senate could have the historic debate and take the vote that it took, um, which obviously fell short. And so that's why I'm here today, because as we're going about and we're talking about redistricting and we're talking about the current election cycle and we're trying to mobilize voters to come out, you know, what we don't want to have happen is that we don't have an answer to the question when somebody says, well, we, we, we did all that in 20 and we and, and Georgia folks did that in 21 and got two Senate seats. And you said that if we had the Senate, we'd be able to get some good stuff passed like voting rights. But that didn't happen. So why should we do it again? How do we know the same thing won't happen? And we've got to be able to answer that question. So one of the things that we've been floating and talking to partners within the coalition about is coming up with a voting rights contract or a voting rights compact um, or a voting rights pledge um, where we basically get anybody running for Congress, particularly the Senate, but maybe the House as well, but particularly the Senate, since we know that's where we need two extra votes in order to get voting rights passed. But we come up with this compact, this a package of, of four, maybe five, maybe even six um, bills that uh, would, would, would be promised to, pledged to ahead of time so that when certain so that when folks come to get our votes and when they win and go to dc that they don't wind up going there and then we think that they're there to pass voting rights but then they say oh i never said that oh i, I, I never said anything about filibuster reform right it's got to be the basis of accountability so we're thinking about a contract that would have at a minimum the john lewis voting rights act that would have the Freedom to Vote Act on it, or the For the People Act, because we've been saying that, look, the original ask was the For the People Act. Manchin then came up with the compromise and then had the audacity to betray his own compromise. And so if that's the case, and we're going around him now that we don't even have to deal with his compromise, we go back to the original ask, which is the For the People Act. And so the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, Freedom to Vote or For the People, either one, we'll figure it out. The um, D.C. statehood, because we very much believe that D.C. statehood is a voting rights issue. Filibuster reform, because at the end of the day, all this doesn't mean anything if they promise to support the bills, but they don't support filibuster reform, cinema, then that doesn't get us very far, right? And then a fifth one that we've been talking about, which is lesser known, some of y'all may on here may know it since you've been talking a lot about redistricting, but the Fair Representation Act, we believe that is a, it can be an important contribution to the, to the discussion around voting rights. Some of you may know it deals with um, uh, federal redistricting, but by, by changing the nature of how districts are drawn and how people are voted in, proportional representation combined with ranked choice voting, um, from my personal perspective, it, it brings me back 30 years ago to when Lonnie Guinier first tried to have a national debate and a national discussion around proportional representation. The entire country would have had a chance to have that debate if Bill Clinton had not withdrawn her nomination and not given her a chance to defend her position in a hearing. Instead, they allowed her to be uh, 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 the, the coined and, and referred to as a, as a quota clean. That's not what proportional representation is about. Okay. The Fair Representation Act would be a chance to have that discussion. That is that is still up for some discussion because some people aren't quite okay. as familiar with it. But at the end of the day, it's the notion of having a voting rights contract that uh, we okay. wanted to introduce. All right, these are all great things. We're really thrilled to have you on, Cliff. Uh, if you'll put your contacts in there, we'd like you to join our coalition on gerrymandering at the very least, uh, and Black Votes Matters. It's really uh, good to have us in this coalition and on these calls. I hope you'll become a regular. Join us again in two weeks, and let's see if we can aim towards a national gathering that includes your group uh, on gerrymandering, okay? Is that, is that cool? Put, put everything sure. in the chat. Justin, you have a question, and then we're going to move on. It's already six o'clock, for God's sakes. We're going to move on with um, uh, Tatanka and Danny Paul. Uh, Cliff, where are you? Uh, are you? What city are you in? Um, I'm based in. We're we're based in in, uh, in Georgia. We're in Atlanta. Okay. Um, All right. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right, and you, of course you work with uh, Ray McClendon and and all the people down there. I, uh, so, uh, Justin LeBlanc, real quick, please. Thank you, Cliff, for everything that uh, all you guys have done uh, for that uh, Georgia Way Coalition. 
That really is a model to the rest of us, along with what was mentioned before, Voting Rights Michigan, formerly voters, not politicians. I wanted to give some uh, context that uh, the initiative process that Michigan used in order to get its uh, citizen redistricting commission uh, came out of an episode in Ohio. Uh, way back when, during the labor rights movements, the uh, railroads had actually pretty much beaten down the state government and were going to override rule of law there. And uh, around the country, citizens got fed up and put uh, initiative processes to override their legislatures. That's something that we really need to emphasize in terms of all these Republican attacks on voting rights and all these Republican attacks on uh, the electoral systems that we have is that uh, our country already went through that process and we rejected this idea that legislatures have absolute power. The citizens do have their own power. We need to stand up and take it. Uh, right. So that's my, my two cents. Thank you, Justin. Uh, a, a, a very strong two cents worth as usual. Um, we're over 80 people on this call right now for those of you on radio land. Um, we wanna move ahead now uh, to, uh, thank you again, Cliff. We wanna move ahead to Tatanka and Danny Paul if you thought the situation on, on gerrymandered in Ohio was crazy, uh, Tataka and Danny Paul, can you go on, uh, tell us, explain to us what's happening with gerrymandering in Indian country? Before, before I introduce Danny Paul, I'm gonna bring him up on the screen here too. I want to say to uh, Cliff, uh, we'd also love to have you as part of that national political action coalition. Hey. And um, you, you may or may not know Drew Glover, who is the national coordinator of it, and we see as the future executive director of it. He lives right there in Selma and was the Selma Bridge Crossing uh, director last year and former city council person in Santa Cruz, who was removed by a very, very nasty half a million dollar outside money uh, campaign to get rid of him. Okay. Um, and also, I want to, you asked me about. Uh, NPAC and Joel and how people, I will put my either Joel Siegel, joel.r.siegel uh, or, or Drew or myself, I'll put those in the chat so you can contact us. If you are a progressive organization, you represent that organization, or if you're a pro uh, progressive activist who's really concerned about working on this and getting other organizations involved, our next meeting of the steering committee, which you're welcome to, is this Thursday, 2 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, and it's a Zoom call, and uh, we will get you on the mailing list. Okay, I wanna welcome uh, Danny Paul Nelson, Dan Nelson of the Romero Institute, actual son of uh, Danny Sheehan and Sarah Nelson, who started the Christic and the Romero Institute, and Dan has been working for a decade with Lakota People's Law Project, and um, all things Lakota has worked with all the leadership there and he's the one that's going to bring us up to date on what's happening with voting rights and and what may be transpiring in the near future take it away Dan. Thanks Tatanka thank you Sluggo uh I'll try to keep this brief given how busy everyone is I the honest truth is that I, I've not developed expertise yet in the gerrymandering currently happening in Indian country Sluggo so I can't give a thorough update on that I have of course you know, heard from colleagues that it's not good. Uh, Arizona, for example, is taking a significant hit. Probably most of you remember that Trump ended up winning that state by about 10,000 votes. And if you look at the map of where Biden's votes came from in the state, they're largely from tribal nations. Uh, there are about a quarter million Native American people that live in the state of Arizona, and they gave that election to, uh, to, to Biden. And if you count it up across the nation, I think it's uh, fair to say that, that the Native vote swung it in general. It's true of lots of other constituencies as well. But Native people are about 2% of the population, and uh, they made a difference in a lot of states, including Georgia. Uh, this coming election, we're actually looking um, – so I work with, the, with people at Standing Rock. Um, uh, my co-director, Chase Ironize, is a former congressional candidate from North Dakota, the first Native American to run for that position. Uh, and we have uh, a very close relationship with the current chairwoman who was just elected at Standing Rock, first woman to serve in about 60 years. And so and we did a huge voting uh, project with Standing Rock uh, around the 2020 election. We spent a couple of months putting together a phone bank there that ultimately made about a quarter million phone calls into states like Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, and ultimately Georgia. 
So we, we are thinking about resurrecting something on that scale for this year. Uh, we're looking at states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, New Hampshire, uh, Georgia, and Arizona, all states where things are very tight. And you know, we believe that in all those states, the native vote could make the difference. And at this last election, 2020, first time that a, a, a victorious presidential candidate and vice presidential candidate acknowledged the native vote, I think in history, it's never happened before, at least to our knowledge. So um, th things are improving in Indian country, certainly, but, uh, but the poverty is endemic and it's severe. And so it's not simple to solve these challenges. Uh, so we're gonna be chipping away at it this year um, best we can. We're actually involved in a lawsuit against the state of South Dakota as we speak as a plaintiff for their failure to implement the, uh, the native, uh, I'm sorry, the National Voting Registration Act. Uh, so it's called Motor Voter. It's a law that requires that DMVs and other state agencies that receive federal funding uh, you know, provide voter registration opportunities to people as they come in. And the state has been just uh, wantonly ignoring that, uh, that law. And so we're probably going to end up settling with the state and getting things to shift somewhat there. But in any case, there's just a lot to keep eyes on. And, um, you know, we're going to be doing our best. And I will continue to return to this forum and provide updates about the work that we're doing. I'll just mention in closing very briefly that um, there are exciting things happening at Standing Rock right now in connection to the Dakota Access fight, uh, Pipeline fight that many of you are, are going to be intimate with. Back in 2016, 2017, of course, the entire world's focus was, was on Standing Rock because of the, the effort there to shut down construction of that pipeline. Uh, the good news is that the Biden administration is finally talking to the tribe. There's going to be a meeting this coming Wednesday, actually, where they sit down and talk about whether the current environmental impact assessment process is adequate. Uh, about two weeks ago, the Supreme Court actually um, basically affirmed that that pipeline is illegal that it was not built um, according to the Na National Environmental Policy Act. And so there's a lot of momentum at this moment, uh, putting pressure on that pipeline. The challenge, of course, is that Dakota Access represents about 5% of domestic oil production. With what's going on in Ukraine, it's not a good moment, probably politically, for us to be getting pipelines shut down. But we're going to try our best uh, and argue that you know, North Dakota is an example of a state that's got enough wind to power the entire uh, Midwest, and yet they still get 75% of their power from coal. It's completely unacceptable. So the idea that somehow we don't have options other than oil, of course, doesn't it doesn't hang it doesn't hang together at this stage in the process. So we're gonna have to push on that particular uh, lever. Anyway, that's the update that I've got for now. Slogan. Thank you for the okay, time. Okay. So we know that the um, um, uh, as you said that uh, uh, the the indigenous vote made the difference in. Uh, in, in ha getting Biden to c carry uh, Arizona, and uh, the the uh, Republicans aren't happy about that. Especially in North Dakota, you have a, a, a extreme right wing uh, woman in the in the governor's mansion. But uh, the the indigenous community uh, has been essential. Uh, I will point out, that Native Americans were not actually granted the right to vote in the by U.S. Congress until 1924. So although you've been here 20, 30,000 years, uh, you know, we haven't even been voting 100 years. It's astounding. And I do have, I have said this before, but I had um, a guy named Mark Welsh, an indigenous activist who used to come to my classes and, and, and speak. And he, uh, he went to the US Supreme Court in 1989 when they were hearing the case on peyote. And the question was, would, uh, Indians, uh, indigenous, be allowed to use peyote as part of their religious ritual. And he heard, Mark Welch, heard William Rehnquist, then the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, say literally, quote, the First Amendment does not apply to Native Americans, <laughs> on close quote. So there you go. So um, at any rate, we will keep you in the loop. Gerrymandering, of course, is a big, a big deal in Indian country. And this pipeline, uh, since I've been watching Fox, they're all saying, you know, we got to, I heard Mike Pence say, and he specifically mentioned uh, Keystone, saying that, you know, we got to open all the pipelines. And, uh, you know, just remember one thing, um, oil has absolutely nothing to do with electricity. And so, you know, we don't generate oil with electricity. Natural gas is a different story. So if these people are, saying that we need this oil for electricity, it's a total lie. I think I mentioned Hawaii, of all places, the only place 
only state in the country that gets a significant amount of its electricity from oil. So uh, let, let's leave that beside. Okay, um, last week we had someone, uh, thank you so much, Danny Paul, Tatanka, do you wanna add to that? No, that's cool. Okay, so um, for those of you in Radio Land, we have 85 people on the call. We had a, a woman from Nevada last week. Is there anyone else from Nevada um, or another state that was uh, um, involved with gerrymandering? We are gonna pursue gerrymandering in a very, very focused way on these gatherings. Based on the, the contrast between Pennsylvania and Ohio that we've heard today, clearly we can make tremendous uh, uh, progress. I do wanna acknowledge Dennis uh, Bernstein is on with us, the, uh, the great host of uh, Flashpoints now, nationally syndicated uh, from, from Pacifica. Uh, Dennis, if you wanna chime in, uh, raise your hand. Anna Georgie from Western Mass, Thomas Pogge from Yale. Rebecca Landau, Rebecca, you're in LA. Uh, I hope you will come along with the other Californians and Angelinos to our gathering on March 27th um, in, in uh, Beverly Hills. And we have both Angel and Wendy from Florida with us. It's great to see both of you. And we're gonna get into the energy issue. I do briefly uh, wanna mention um, a, a new law that staggers the imagination. Just when you thought you've heard everything, um, the state of Texas is now moving forward with a law that states, I, I can barely say this, and maybe some of you have heard this, that if you know someone, uh, a child whose family is allowing that child to have transgender treatments, hormones and whatever else is involved, if you know about it and you don't report it, you can be convicted of a felony. I, I, I have to repeat that because I said it pretty much correctly. And they're doing this with abortion too. This, uh, you know, as a historian, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm married to one. But as a historian, I have never seen this anywhere in the history of the United States where a state requires you, if you know of a woman having an abortion, or if you know of a child doing transgender therapy, and you do not report it, you can be convicted of a felony. This is a whole new um, uh, invasion uh, of, of our legal rights. And it has not yet, in that particular form, it did go to the US Supreme Court in, in terms of abortion. In other words, the, the Texas law that states, the, it's the vigilante law where they don't rely on the state to enforce it. They force uh, people, neighbors, I mean, this is right out of Nazi Germany, but they force people who know that someone is having an abortion to report it or else face criminal charges. And the Supreme Court kicked the law down the, down the road, but did not overturn it while they're waiting to decide. And to that, they have added the vigilante enforcement of anti-transgender treatments. So uh, I, I don't know where, what to, where to go with that, uh, but it has to be on the agenda. This is a whole new way of enforcing fascist um, 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 uh, laws, if you can call them laws. I wouldn't distinguish them as laws, but that's what they are. We have a medical doctor to comment on this, uh, Ruth Strauss. Dr. Ruth, you wanna say something about this? Hey, thank you. Uh, just two quick things. The first is that um, the Women's Reproductive Health uh, Bill, which is Senate 3755, uh, it's, it's ridiculous when you look at the Senate calendar. They voted to vote to get it out of committee, but in any case, uh, they're gonna start discussing it on the floor today at 3 p.m. Please call your senators, okay? Uh, the, uh, I think the Capitol switchboard, if you don't wanna look it up, is 202-224, I think it's uh, 3121, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, the other thing is that on March 8th, which is International Women's Day, there is going to be a protest about all of this um, at City Hall at 2 p.m. Uh, it's sponsored by Rise Up for Abortion Rights. 
please try to be there and try to get your friends to be there. Thank you. This, this is in Los Angeles? Yes, yes, that's in Los Angeles. Okay. Well, they, what is the federal bill? I don't, I'm, I'm not clear on the federal it's, bill. It's 3755. It basically says a woman has a right to abortion and you can't go after doctors if they give them. Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden.